Welcome to QAV, the Phoenix edition, the hot edition. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona this week, Tony. And I swear that this place is built on the Hellmouth. It's uh, it's insane. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> crazy. I don't know what's crazier, you being in Phoenix in summer or, or Phoenix itself. It's a winter destination normally. Yes, it's... Uh, their summer holidays. So my Fox is here visiting. We're here visiting Chris's family. Fox has got cousins around about his age here. He's having a ball, having a whale of a time, loving it. Doesn't want to talk to me. Doesn't want to see me. Just wants to play with his cousins all day, which suits me fine. So that's why we're here. But man, is it hot. Like, yeah, 42, 43, 45 every day. A low of 31, 32 every day. But uh it's pretty, really pretty. People are nice. It's really pretty. We went paddle boarding. In-laws took us paddle boarding down a sort of a whitewater rivery kind of thing. The mountains at sunset the other night, there's wild horses coming out and drinking from the river as we're paddle boarding down. The water was icy cold. Cactuses, saguaro cactuses, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like being in a Roadrunner coyote cartoon. It's really, really pretty, but... Um, just insanely hot. And everyone I talk to, I'm like, how do you live here? And they're like, yeah, it's not so bad. You get used to it. It's dry heat. I go, yeah. So is the top of an oven. It was stove. Try putting your hand on it. See how you go. Anyway, anyway they all think I'm a, this is a stupid Aussie. They're probably right. <laughs> how are you doing, TK? Yeah, good. Yeah, doing well. How's the portfolio? Financially not so great, but uh, <laughs> uh, still better than if I didn't have a system. So. Yeah, it's, it's these times happen. It's it's tough in the market at the moment. Yeah, down millions. So uh, you got to turn that off, I think. <laughs> Read all the memes on Facebook, like you know, from pressure comes diamonds and all this kind of self help crap. <laughs> well, you know what I've been telling myself, and I've been telling people on our socials is I just keep reminding myself that what's really going on out there is the market is preparing bargains for us. There's great companies that have got a good track record. They've been around a long time, generate a lot of cash, good businesses, solid businesses, good management that are available at a discount. We're not buying them yet because we're waiting for things to stabilize. But when things stabilize, we're going to be snapping up bargains, great companies that we wouldn't have been able to buy a year ago. They'll be cheap and we'll ride them back up for the next year or two. And that's where we make our money, right? Isn't that how it works? Look at you, Padawan. You've learned how the system works. That's exactly how it works. And I think the bit you've missed out is the fact that we're going to cash at the right time. So uh, even though it's hurting to sell stocks that have been profitable and I'm being rule one every other day out of stocks and things like that, I've got a, a big pile of cash now, which is just sitting there at the right time for when the market bottoms to get back in. Well, I tell you, talking about going to cash at the right time, I told you a few weeks ago, I had to cash out my personal portfolio. I've got my super portfolio and my personal, I had to cash out my personal portfolio to pay for this trip because mm-hmm. we had used our trip money to invest for the last few years during COVID, our holiday money. And I, I got out of it. I cashed it out like a month ago. Really glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're not supposed to time the market and I didn't, but uh, accidentally got out probably at a good time. Well, karma's getting to you, though. You're living in Phoenix in 45 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Anyway, so look, it's it's rough out there. But as you've been telling me for the last few years, this is just business as usual. Markets go up, markets go down. We just it's like a roller coaster. We just stay on the ride, right? Situation normal, yeah. And it's it's what markets do. We're always going to have periods of exuberance and periods of pessimism. We just have to switch that off, not let it affect us, and just keep keep sticking to our our knitting, doing what we do. According to Karen Maley in the Financial Review, this is the white knuckle part of the cycle. There's a good article I read today. She said, um, highly regarded market strategist and economist David Rosenberg has come up with the most succinct explanation for the terror that's now stalking markets. We've had 8% inflation before, he tweeted a week ago. Been a while, but we've had it. What we've never had before was the Fed hiking rates into an official bear market. Brand spanking new, more downside coming. Even though the US share market benchmark, the S&P 500, is already down more than 20% from its all-time high, Rosenberg warns the pain might not be over. Rosenberg pointed out that in the past 50 years, a market decline of 20% has presaged a recession precisely 100% of the time. So this could uh, go on for a, a while yet. Yeah, look, uh, I can't predict it, can it's, it's, I could say it will go up. My gut feel says it's going to go on for at least six months, but it could turn around today or tomorrow too, or it could last years. Which is why we need to stay frosty. Stay frosty, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, I've, I can make lots of commentary on the current situation. I agree with that commentator about the Fed raising interest rates when the, everything else is already going up. This is a supply side problem, inflationary problem. So I don't see how raising interest rates is going to affect that. It's not going to unblock all the ships at sea who are lying with cargo off ports that can't be unloaded. And it's not going to help restaurants who can't employ staff because no backpackers are in Australia and all that kind of stuff. So I don't see how raising interest rates helps that. I guess officially what they're trying to do is to get back to what they call the neutral setting. So at the moment, we're still, inflation's up, um, asset prices, well, they have been up until recently in the stock market, and they're still elevated compared to what they were a little while ago anyway. One of the things that I do pay attention to is what the PE of the market is, and I think both here in the States, we're getting back to average. So maybe we're going to get to a neutral setting quicker than what the RBA thinks or the, or the Fed in the US thinks. Unemployment is still very low. So the RBA wants inflation to run at between 2 and 3%. It's currently running in Australia at five, so it's not going to need, I wouldn't have thought, much of a tweak in interest rates to bring it back to 3% at least. And given the fact that it's, it's not really interest rates that are causing the inflation, it's, it's fuel prices because of the Ukrainian war, energy prices because of the transition to carbon neutral future, all those kinds of things are impacting it. It's the, it's the supply chain blockages because of COVID. It's the lack of immigration that's... Um, just starting to come back now in Australia since COVID, none of those are really interest rate issues. So I always look at the economy as having as a, a three-cornered milk stool or three, uh, a stool with three uh, legs, and we've kicked out petrol prices and we, we've kicked out the dollar. Well, actually, the dollar's okay at the moment, so I'll take that back. We've kicked out petrol prices and we're now going to kick out interest rates. The stool's going to collapse. So I think the RBA will aim for a soft landing, but you know, if interest rates do raise, do rise too high too quickly, that's going to impact people's wallets, just like fuel prices are, like um, energy prices will. 
and that's just going to hurt people so much they can't spend in the economy and that's going to be it for the economy and we will hit a recession. So this is like, you know, the RBA is trying to bring a 747 in when Karen, cross-eyed Karen Black's at the wheels because Dean Martin's had a heart attack and she's trying to bring Airport 75 in being talked at down through the tower and Phil Lowe's on the mic. It's just like it's, it's a really hard landing to engineers. So good luck to them. I don't believe interest rates will solve this, but I'm not an economist. What we need is Leslie Nielsen in the plane. Yeah, yeah what a time to give up glue sniffing. <laughs> and don't call him Shirley. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed just recently too is out in my walks every day is that we are, I am starting to see retail shop fronts up police again, empty retail shop fronts. And that's always for me a precursor for a, a bad patch in the economy. And I mean, you, you'll know Silly Tarts, it closed in the last month or so. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Our favourite little cafe and, and the scene for a couple of QAV dinners. You kept them in business all during COVID. We did. That's sad. And um, their lease came up. The owner of the building put the rent up and they just stayed afloat during COVID and they were finding it hard to get staff. So they were working seven days a week themselves and they just pulled the pin and they've left. And I imagine there are other retail shop fronts in that kind of situation because as I walk around, I'm seeing more and more empty spaces and spaces for lease. And that's a bad indicator for the economy going forward. There's nothing we can do about it. I guess that's... Um... that's no, that's right. We can't control it. We just manage our way through it. You know, we make light of all this, but it's going to hurt people. It's not good. Um, there'll be people out there. I mean, uh, Stephen Maine and Alan Kohler on their recent discussions were talking about trying to get a class action up against the RBA because the governor has been saying for uh, since COVID that interest rates wouldn't rise until 2024. So, you know, do all the people who've taken a mortgage out in the last 12 months have a class action against him because he's now raising interest rates quickly? Yeah, well, I was going to ask, you, when do we... Uh put heads on spikes for all the people that said that MMT wasn't going to lead to inflation. Yeah, that's right. That's the other risk. There was a really interesting article in the Fin yesterday from the guy from, I think it's Extant Capital, does a lot of data science work. And he's pointing out that his, his people expect the Reserve Bank to have negative equity at the end of this financial year when they produce their, their balance sheet. And by that, he means if it was a business, it would not be able to continue to trade as a going concern. So it's like getting a qualified audit. And that's because interest rates are now rising and they have all this bonds they bought sitting on their balance sheet. Um, and the bonds are going down in value as the yields rise. And so the RBAs, uh, if it was a company, would uh, have to raise more capital. And that's going to be the issue going forward. You can't print money in a rising interest rate environment where you can't do it as easy as you could do in a lowering interest rate environment where you just stuff another bond on the balance sheet and wait for it to mature. It's harder to do when you have to pay out higher and higher yields and the value of your balance sheet goes down further and further. So that's MMT, I think, is going to be, is one less lever the government can pull. I can't see a government, if, if we do go into recession, it's going to be really hard to do a cash splash like they did during COVID. The RBA can't really assist with that. but on the other side of the coin, the RBA, according to this article in the Fin yesterday, is expected to pay out $8 billion as a dividend to the government this year because of the fact that they have made money in a falling interest rate environment and they're flush with cash and they're getting you know, good income. So that's going to the government this year, but it won't go next year because if they've got negative equity, they can't afford to pay a dividend next year. So 
that kind of income is going to be hard to, to patch up. If we go into recession and the government needs to support the economy and it's not getting the same kind of dividends from the RBA, it's going to have to make it up through increased taxes in some way or go even more seriously into debt, which will hurt us as well because our credit rating will go down. So the government debt will cost more. So it's a tricky situation for the RBA and the government going forward for sure. Well, looking at our portfolio, Tony, for the financial year, the QAV dummy portfolio is down 4.25% as of the date of recording, which uh, is the 21st, I think, over there, right? 21st in Australia, yeah. So we're underwater by 4.25%. Capital gains actually down 9.7% for the financial year, but we've had some income, 5.46% per annum, these numbers are. So we're down negative 4.25% per annum for the financial year. But again, I think over the, uh, well, that's compared to the ASX 200, which is down, I don't have my glasses on, but it looks like 5.9%. So we're not down as much as them, but we're almost neck and neck. There's not a lot between it. But if I look at uh, the long haul since inception. While you do that, Cam, it's a good point to make. The W portfolio is down four and a half percent. Even though the market's down, you know, five to six percent. So it's not like the end of the world this financial year. It would be highly unusual if we didn't have years where we're down 10% in the stock market. So this is just one of those years. I had the Nevexa portfolio all time sitting at about $29,000. So it's still up. We're still way up from when we started. I've got 16% as our run rate, according to Nevexa since we started, versus the all odds of 5.58%. Well, if I take it from the 2nd of September 2019, which is our inception date, uh, it says we're up 15.64% versus the ASX 200 up 3.71%. So we're doing four to five times better than the index over the period. So yeah, they're, they're per annum numbers too. So versus the index, we're doing fine over the long haul. And that's you know what I keep reminding, particularly the, the new club members, look, people that have started with QAV in the last year, it's been a rough year. Like I feel for you. Uh, but as I said to somebody online today, as my father would have said, it puts hairs on your chest. Like it's in some ways, I think it's it's a turbulent, scary period. But um, this is investing, right? See if you got the cojones <laughs> to to survive it. And I think the, it is the way you approach this. My mind, okay, I, I'm upset we've lost money, but I know that's the way this works. But my mind, are you is, really though? Are really. you really upset? <laughs> not really, no. No, because it's counters in a in a bank account somewhere or a portfolio system somewhere. What I'm focused on is what can we do better next time? And it's, so that's what I'm focused on. And there's been some really interesting posts in our Facebook group. You know, someone posted overnight that they are starting to look at buying some of the ETFs, which are going up because they're focused on a recession or focused on a, a downturn. So they're negatively correlated to the stock market. So I'm going to investigate that going forward. I remember a month or two ago, the Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is a listed investment company, which is a sort of quasi index fund with low fees. And, and Alex, my daughter, had shares in that and it crossed into a sell situation. And I contacted her and said, I think you should sell. And she did. So she's ahead on that trade. But, you know, is that a sign that we can look forward to in the future that 
is the time to go to cash completely. I mean, there's kind of a lot of things that we can investigate. So the next time this happens, and it's going to happen in a couple of years again, we can be perhaps even improve on how we do things. Yeah, but that's great that you're thinking about how to improve the system even further. But I guess for new folks out there, people that are looking at have lost money, uh, which a lot of people will have if they started in the last 12 months, their portfolio is probably down as the QAV portfolio is down a little bit. I just want to reassure them that, yeah, you'll make it back up. Stick to the system, be consistent. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, without referring to your 30-year history, I, you know, I can say from firsthand experience now just in the last three years, there's been times like the GFC, not the GFC, the, the COVID crash, COVID cough, where we've had to sell a ton of stuff and we, we were down and things looked dire and eventually the market picked back up again and we rode it all the way back up and, uh, you know, now it's come back down. But I've, I've seen it happen at least one, well, I'm not sure that was a cycle really, but it was, a, it was an event anyway that, I, that I've ridden through. And so this time I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, it goes down, goes back up. You know, it's like it's a roller coaster, right? Correct. And the market's not going to close and economy's not going to shut. So it might go, the share market might drop a lot further from where it is. It might go up tomorrow. We just don't know. The important thing is to have a framework. To those people who are new to QAV, I do sympathise with them because as, as we've spoken about, I'm down millions as well. So I do sympathise and empathise with them, but I'm, I'm going to just pose a couple of basic questions about share investing. Is the time to sell at the bottom or is it time to sell at the top or just after the top? It's obviously you want to sell on the top. We choose to sell just after the top on the way down, go to cash and buy back in as close to the bottom as we can. So if you're new to it and you've lost money, hang in there, the system will put you back on a, a path to long-term wealth creation. And you'll, you'll look back on this and say, it was a stumble of a start, but you know we survived and we got through and it's working really well. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. 40 years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. <laughs> Enough, I get the point. <laughs> Dogs and cats, that's my favourite line. The uh, the clip I was looking for, which I don't have apparently, is, uh, you know, boys, someday this war is going to end. Mm. That's what I just keep thinking. Someday this is going to end. We don't know when. Could be six months from now. Could be next week. We don't know, but we know it will end. It will turn around and we need to be... Vigilant. We need to be invested. We need to be ready to, you know, fill the coffers when it turns. Because when it turns, it'll uh, go back up, and that's we know from history that's where the money is made, right? Yeah, and to set the scene, this might not happen for another twelve or eighteen months as well. So we may well be trading in and out, sitting on cash for a long period of time going forward too, because it. Yeah, my prediction was wrong. It doesn't seem like the Ukrainian war will be short. It'll be long. Well, it's already been long. If the Americans have anything to do with it, it'll be going for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> $70 billion, I think they've uh, approved now in funding for Ukraine. And understand the mindset that says we want the Ukrainians to win. We want to support the Ukrainians. But what it means Alternatively, is it's going to draw this thing out for a long, long, long time. Yeah, so the oil market might stay high for a long time, which is going to impact on people's 
you know, pockets as they fill their cars up, as they pay their, their gas bills. So, you know, the economy may not ride itself for a while. If we do tip into a recession, that's not going to be an easy thing to fix. So that's going to take a couple of quarters probably to get us out of that and all kinds of issues that will be raised by governments to, to fix that, which could involve more taxes or it could involve cutting to welfare or all kinds of things. So it's not, it may not be easy. On the other side, it could be all over tomorrow. Who knows? But we've got to keep a long-term view and uh, just write it out. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the charts, Tony. Iron ore chart, iron ore's come back a lot uh, from its high. And I remember last year you fudged a sell line for it. What are your thoughts on the iron ore chart at the moment? I think it's down about 100, it's about 125. I think it's trading at the moment, down from about 217, 220 at its top. So it's almost, you know, come down 50%. Yeah, I had a look at it yesterday and it was still fine, even on the fudge basis, but I'll call it up and have a look. If you were going to fudge it, like where would you, how would you draw the line at this point? Yeah, so when I fudged it last time, I went back two years, which seemed to be the cycle for iron ore. So I went back to April 2020 as L1, and then I used the COVID cough. Well, actually, it was after the COVID cough, November 2021 as L2, and I get a, a sell price at $99. We're going to hang in and yeah. for that? Right. By the way, iron ore looks like a Josephine at the moment too because its second buy is just below its buy price at the moment. Yeah, the reason I asked though is we own some iron ore stocks still in the dummy portfolio. I'm wondering when we're going to dump them based on the iron ore commodity chart. Like we've got GRR, we've got FMG, we've got FEX, and they're not doing well. But uh, we're still up 54% on GRR this financial year. We're up 54% on KOV this financial year, up 20% almost for KSC, up 20, uh, 16, 70% for IGL. Some of our shares are still okay. <laughs> Done really well out of them this year, even despite them coming back a lot. Yeah, and that's how it works as well. It's been my experience that we never go completely to cash. I never go completely to cash. So there'll always be something in the portfolio, but there'll be a lot of stuff which we rule one out of. So you're not prepared to give up on iron ore stocks just yet? No. I, well, using the same logic as last year, the fudge is going to be sub $100. So $99, I think, is the fudge sell. And the five-year sell is even lower. It's going to be around sort of sub-80, about 79 bucks. And then the gold chart, uh, if you can have a quick look at that for me too. I mean, gold is looking okay, but um, I think it's still, it's not a Josephine, but it hasn't breached the second byline for gold. So that so I'm holding off on gold stocks. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, it's still below its second byline. Uh-huh. I, bought, I bought a gold stock last week. I didn't even check that. <laughs> I should have went down. That was West African resources. So I've got, uh, this is the U- uh, gold futures current in Stock Doctor, GC hash. I've got a sell price of around $16.65, so say $16.70. And the price today is $18.53. Well, I'm looking at the AUD chart because the Stock Doctor one's USD, isn't it? It is. So on a US dollar basis, the gold price is well above its sell. And on a AUD basis is getting back close to its sell, actually. Really? What are you? What, how are you drawing the line here? So I just need to go back, make sure I've gone, I've gone back five years because you're right, I'm getting a 10-year a graph for the monthly. I'm going to use L1 as November 2018, and then that makes L2 April 19. 
And if I just do a ruler on that, no, she's well above the cell line with those. Yeah, that's fine. Has been going sideways for a while, though. Yeah, but it's a Josephine, right? Yes, it's a Josephine too. Because it hasn't breached the line, yeah. So we're not buying stuff there. Okay. Wish I'd seen that last week. Thanks for pointing it out. <laughs> I think I did point it out to you last week too, but um, oh, thanks. you obviously forgot. All right, now the other thing, I, I talked to you a bit about this off-air. Um, I've just noticed, particularly since I've been here, you know, my process when I'm here in the US is when I wake up in the morning, I check my emails because, you know, nine o'clock in the morning here is like, I don't know, middle of the night in Australia. And I um, check my stock doctor alerts for, for sales. And then I throw them into a spreadsheet so I can double check my real ones and my dividends and my calcs and that kind of stuff. And I've got sort of a tracking sheet that uses stock history in Excel to give me the current price then tells because sometimes you know the alert will go off in the middle of the day in the US but uh, in Australia but by the time I check it the price has gone back above the rule 1 line but what i've noticed is that the current price according to stock history in excel is different sometimes to the current price according to stock doctor and stock doctor will still have it as a sell but stock history will have it as being okay or, or sometimes just barely above the rule one price. And so far I've been using stock history's price and not stock doctors because we're using stock history now for the automatic Josephine calculator in the uh, scorecard that Gary and Dave uh, put together for us over the last few weeks. And if I throw out stock history as being unreliable, all that goes out the window as well. So I've been sticking with it, but in some cases, and the one that's most um, prominent for me at the moment is BPT. Stock history's current price is like $1.71, which is okay in terms of our rule one. Stock doctor's current price is $1.55, which is well below our rule one. And we need to make a captain's call here on do we go with the stock history price or the stock doctor price? So I'm selling when I need to sell rather than holding on when I shouldn't be holding on. Thoughts and stock history is backed by Refinitiv, which should be reliable. I don't, I haven't reached out to Refinitiv yet or Microsoft about why there's a big difference. What's your gut feeling on this? If there's a, if Stock Doctor says it's below the rule one, should I just sell it and ignore stock history? Well, I'm not an expert on stock history. I understand Stock Doctor's on a 20 minute delay. I think their data provider is Reuters, and I think Refinitiv's data provider might be Reuters as well. So, I think stock history is 20-minute delay as well. So I think they both should be the same. Was this the problem before you went to the States or is it just happening now in the States? I didn't notice it before I came here, but I wasn't doing 20 real ones a day either back then. <laughs> so I, don't know. I wonder if when you look at Stock Doctor, it's the closing. Well, they both should be the closing price because you're doing it overnight Australia time. No, I'm looking at the current price, not the closing price, the current price. Yeah, but if you're doing it like midnight in Australia, the current price would be the closing price, right? Yeah, that's right. Sure. So the only thing I can think of is I wonder if there's some trades going through somehow overnight that's changing stock history, but stock doctors using a closing price. I don't know. I'm not an expert, sorry. I haven't seen that problem before. And I don't use stock history that much. But look, I'm hoping, well, there should be some listeners out there who do use stock history and can give us some their take on whether it's reliable or not. Yeah, all right. Anyone's got any thoughts on that, please let me know. All right, what do you uh, got in your list of notes to talk about today, TK? Yeah, I've got a few things, actually. 
Yeah, talking about how do we improve things in the future, I mean, hats off to one of the listeners who asked the question about whether we should be buying GMA, the Gemworth mortgage business, when the interest rates are going up, because of course that, that price has crashed. And I was ruled one out of that fairly early on after the RBA raised interest rates. So it was pretty sound advice, but uh, I just followed the system there. But um, again, thinking about things that we can improve on going forward, maybe that's one of them that we pay more attention to, or I pay more attention to how uh, economic fundamentals are going to affect companies. Is that effectively the same as looking at the commodity price for an iron ore stock? looking at the interest rates for a mortgage business? Could be, absolutely. So I need to look at that a bit further. But yeah, it hats off to the listener who raised that and hopefully they sold out before the market, the share price went down. Have we spoken about VGI and how it was merged and now is RPL? So VGI was on the buy list. We mentioned it briefly at some point, or I did, because I spent half an hour trying to work out one day, what because we owned VGI and I was trying to work out what was going on with it. And then, uh, you were, yeah, I think you and I worked out that it had changed its name the, the day before or something, yeah. Yeah, if people haven't worked that out, they probably have by now because it's a week ago. We ended up having to sell it too because after that merger and name change, it crashed. <laughs> Good merger. At least the investment bank has got their money for the, for the yeah, merger. Yeah, as long as they're okay, that's all we can yeah. <laughs> I did want to make a comment on the banks. Again, it's in line with the comment about GMA. So... I guess the rule in the past has been as interest rates rise, banks do well because their margin improves. So they, they tend to pay more for their borrowings, but pass all of that on to their deposit account. So they get the use of the deposited accounts for um, their mortgages and they get a, a higher margin than what they get when interest rates are coming down. I think that still holds long term, but the banks have all been sold off as soon as the RBA raised interest rates more than what was expected. It seems like it's because of analysts expecting to have a rise in bad debts. So as interest rates rise, you know, you'd expect some people who are borrowing on the margin, who are borrowing um, without any sort of ability to pay higher interest rates will, will start to go bad. I'm not sure that's the case, but certainly what's called the provision for bad and doubtful debts has been a big driver of bank share prices going in the last sort of five to 10 years. And the right backs of those. So during COVID, the banks added a lot of provisioning for bad and doubtful debts to their balance sheets and that saw their share prices tank and then after COVID they wrote it back because the world didn't end and people didn't have to sell their houses or they actually had a holiday on repayments too if they wanted it so the provisions were written back and the banks took off again and now they're down again uh, because people fear that they're going to have to raise those provisions and they might so that's I think a short-term thing for the banks and I think longer term in a rising interest rate environment, they will do well. So my gut says that the banks may be the first things we start to buy back into when things turn around. But anyway, that's a, that's a prediction. We'll see. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., 
uh, sign up for the two-week free trial and check it all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. Um that's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right. Have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.